Welcome to the Progress Texas Happy Hour. Welcome back to the Progress Texas Happy Hour. I'm your host, Sam Gonzalez, and joining me today is Managing Director Brett Isaacs, Content Production Specialist Chris Mosier, and Communications Associate Emily Clark. Once again, Emily's back, everybody. Hey. I'm giving you the excitement, Woo-hoo. Emily. It's your time to shine. You've been on. Oh, wait, you've been killing you. the podcasts. So let's thank give you. you the time to shine in the intro. But we have plenty of time to shine for our final podcast before the election. But before we get into that, you've seen the title. You know what we're talking about. Let's get into how we are calming ourselves and keeping our hands steady in this final stretch. Uh, Brett, what do you got in your cup over there? Just some water over here. Just trying to, you know, stay hydrated, uh, stay calm. Although I'm usually not calm on like any non-election day, so <laughs> it's probably not going to happen. Although, if we're being completely honest, when is not election season, you know, now in our modern society. So just trying to stay hydrated over here. And, and hydration is important in the, in the immortal words of Bobby Boucher. That is some high quality H2O. Chris, what do you got in your cup? Man, I'm going through one of those uh, spells of time where, you know, the poll numbers are kind of stressing me out and it gives me the urge to self-medicate with maybe a few extra beers. And so I'm resisting that urge by going with a nice cranberry holiday season Waterloo sparkling water. Uh, And I wanted to ask, uh, Brett, does this qualify for uh, a cool uh, citrus flavor or not? Cranberry. Chris, ask yourself that one more time. (laughs) Does this cranberry sparkling water qualify as citrus? Think about that. Then you tell me. I I guess guess not. not. I guess not. Although I will say (laughs) Waterloo um, brand is a step up from the H-E-B brand that I drink. So you got a little bit of cred there. I'll give you that. It worked out okay. It's good. Keeping it high class. We're keeping it high class here. And Emily, what do you got in your cup to keep it calm? I got a triple shot espresso. (laughs) Um, You know, (laughs) it's not very calming, but I sure need it. Exactly. Somebody. Sometimes you need a good buzz in your whole entire body to keep you going. <laughs> yeah. Is everyone okay on this podcast? Well, ah, that's okay. a loaded question, Brett. All of us. Well, considering the time of this podcast, which I will not uh, let people know what time we're recording this, as I reveal that I am drinking a Mexican-style lager from a place that no longer exists, R.I.P. Ah. Adelbert's Brewery. Uh, right, this was right. called uh, Redacted because they called it Dale, as, a, as like the Pitbull thing. But then right. another brewery got mad because they had a Dale lager and they said the accent mark wasn't uh, different enough. So they had to call it redacted. So might be the last one in the whole city and it's in my hand. But that's what keeps me calm in this final podcast before the midterm elections here in Texas. And here at Progress Texas, we wanted to give you the definitive list of the top 10 things we hate about Greg Abbott. And why you should, too, because it's been seven years of Greg Abbott, almost close to coming in on eight. And it's hard to remember all of the cruel, wasteful, idiotic things he's done over the course of his tenure. So listen to this podcast, share this podcast, because we're going to give you our top 10. And those top 10 have a lot of little subdivisions, sub stories. We're going to get into it. So be sure to follow closely as we start in no particular order our top 10 with number one. I'm going to pass it to Brett, though. Brett, what is our number one thing we hate about Abbott? I think the number one thing we hate about Abbott can be applied to so many other 
Republicans and conservatives like so much of this list, to be honest. So that, mm -hmm. it's a really good one to do right before the election. But the number one thing I want to start us off with is abortion bans. I mean, come on. Like, when we're talking about Republicans who are allegedly the party of small government, they want to be all up in, you know, our medical business, all up in, you know, our decisions. And it's really horrific. So let's recap, you know, under Governor Abbott in 2021, the the legislature passed an extremely restrictive abortion ban, one of the most, if not the most restrictive bans at the time. And it was formatted specifically in such a way so that it could bypass the protections of Roe before Roe was overturned by encouraging your neighbors, your co-workers, everyone around you to act as vigilantes of the state in order to, you know, find people seeking health care in civil procedures. So this is just so nefarious for so many reasons. And I do just want to come back to saying, like, this is supposedly the party of, like, get government out of our lives. And they want to turn every single person into an agent of the government to prosecute those seeking health care. And then, as we know, when Roe was formally overturned by the Trump appointees, plus Justice Roberts, plus Clarence Thomas, plus Alito, um, by the Supreme Court earlier this year, Texas had a trigger abortion ban that went into effect that is a total abortion ban. And it has really impacted people in this state. You know, Greg Abbott and his cronies have created a situation where people, some people I know, some people I love, have had to travel out of state in order to terminate pregnancies, both wanted both and unwanted. And that is one of the biggest reasons I will be voting against him in this election cycle. And you should too. Right. I mean, besides the previous stance of we're going to ban all rapists in Texas, like we we go back in Stop. his history oh and you look at what he's been saying. He went from that. We're going to go ahead and just get rid of all of them. Realize that that was a fairy tale. He was telling everybody and himself to going. Oh, and this is recently this year. Uh, we'll let the rape victims uh, take plan B. It's fine. Just take plan B. That's the way you can get rid of it. Also, we have baby supplies for you. We'll go ahead and provide yeah. those. He said that during a debate in front of all of Texas who would want to wanting to see what his option was for that. And that was the best he had. Are you kidding me? Uh. Absolutely. The abortion situation turns the the midterm election really, truly into a referendum about of what Texas is really about, what our people and what our electorate is really about. Uh, if we're if we're going to tolerate uh, the, the drawing back of fundamental rights that have been in place for 50 years for our entire country, if we're going to tolerate that and go ahead and leave in place the people who are in charge of that having happened, it truly is. I mean, to me, it's like, is this state full of assholes or not? I think we may be about to find out that, you know, if things don't go the way we want them to go, that it actually is. Yeah. I want to mention two things as well. You know, the first thing is we talked about this on our podcast, recapping the debate, which is that Abbott's whole thing about his, you know, take plan B, we have baby supplies. These only focus on the two extreme ends, beginning and end of a pregnancy. It's like you can either stop it right at the beginning, although he and so many other Republicans have said that life begins at conception. So I really like, I don't yeah. even think plan B is going to be a viable option for it's much wildly longer. Inconsistent. He stays, 
yeah. government, governor. Like genuinely, I think people should fully understand the implications of what this could mean. And if you mm-hmm. want further info, go back and listen to our podcast we did right after Roe was overturned, because we talk a lot about what Republicans want to do and how Abbott is going to enable them as he has enabled them consistently in the past. So he offers no options for people during a pregnancy, a pregnancy that they may want but becomes unviable, a pregnancy that may threaten the mother's life, a pregnancy that they may just not want. It's the extreme ends. So that's the first thing. And the second thing is that A lot of this election and a lot of what the electorate is voting on is the economy and how we feel about inflation. And I do think that Democrats have sort of surrendered that messaging, which is a mistake. But having a baby, having a child is one of the most impactful economic decisions you will ever make or be forced to make in your lifetime, whether that's as, you know, the parent giving birth, whether that's as a parent who is supporting a child. You know, there's so much rolled into this that I just think people forget about because it's part of a larger conversation. It's not just a woman's issue. It's not just a people with uteruses issue. It is an issue for, like Chris said, or was alluding to, our humanity as Texans. Yeah. And just like so people remember, this isn't just stopping here. Like just because we have two or three abortion bans in place right now doesn't mean they can't go farther with these bans. Like we've already had GOP legislators threatening to do so. Like almost immediately after Roe was overturned, they were like, actually, we're not going to stop here. They're working on making sure Texans can't leave the state for abortion procedures, which is their personal choice and decision. And Texans have a right to travel out of state for whatever they please. There's a reason these are the United States. Like, I want to be able to go to wherever I want within the United States and do what I need to do. Um, Abbott's about to take Operation Lone Star and put it on like the New Mexico-Texas border. Oh, yeah. Right. And once again, and to just kind of wrap that up and to lead into what you just mentioned about Operation Lone Star, uh, I would be remiss um, of our president, Ed Espinosa's strongest quote that he always loves to pull out, which is exactly what the intention of the Republicans is. What from WFAA Republican lawmaker Briscoe Cain wants to punish women for abortions was the word that he used. This is all about the cruelty. Vote against Abbott. Yeah, vote against Abbott. And then abortion is healthcare. I mean, it's very simple. I think I want to end on that as we move on to number two, which I'm going to take a crack at because it involves all of those crazy border stunts. And as a Mexican-American male, or technically Chicano, I was born here. Point is, it's a very important thing to me. And it's very important when all of this stuff was going on with these border stunts that I would report on them via our social media and how expensive and how wasteful all of these border stunts have been. Now, let me go over some of the cruelty points first. Title 42, using COVID as a guise to exclude black and brown immigrants from the southern border. That was one of the first things he did when COVID happened. Not to protect his people. We'll get into the COVID stuff later. But explicitly to keep people of color from entering Texas borders. The second thing, he's been busing migrants, costing millions and millions of dollars to send them to Kamala Harris's house, D.C., New York, flooding their social services, not because they're unwilling, but because they were unprepared because there was no communication. Abbott had no intention of making sure that these people's lives were better, that they were going to his, you know, the, the uh, alleged sanctuary cities. They want to help. They have helped. But he's being an asshole about it. He's not communicating. He's lying to the people who are getting on the bus. He's saying, oh, they're going to provide all sorts of things, giving them a dot to dot map saying this is where you're going. 
just cruel for cruelty's sake. Another thing, you may have forgotten this one in the, earlier this year, the truck inspections. Oh, Do you God. all remember those? Yeah. Emily, Emily remembers those. Yeah, because Mr. Economy really fucked up the economy. <laughs> <laughs> so, so for those of you who don't remember the truck inspections, Greg Abbott takes a hard stance on the border. He's going to do all these truck inspections. The illusion was that he was inspecting them for drugs, migrants, fentanyl, illegal fentanyl, whatever, any spooky thing you can imagine. All he had the authority to do ever, ever in this situation was to check brake pads, engines, fuel, oil levels, standard air in the tires, standard maintenance stuff on these trucks. And those checks that he used to kind of tout how strong he is protecting our borders cost the U.S. almost nine B as in billion dollars in just 10 days doing that little stunt there. And last but not least... Operation Lone Star, who currently stealing money from COVID uh, funds and as recently as this week, prison funds to fund Operation Lone Star. Uh, it's led to a high cause of suicides and deaths among Border Patrol agents because they're not being properly funded, supported, and probably not given all the other resources they need to actually do the job that they were sent to do if it was even an earnest thing to try to go and protect the border the way he thinks he's trying to protect it. He also forgot to take out the right amount of taxes for National Guard troops. So the people that are out there in the heat, busting their butt, keeping our borders safe. You know what? They got a job to do. Sure. You want to take care of your troops? We love our troops. We take care of them. They took out the wrong amount of taxes. So now they owe, owe upwards of hundreds of dollars up to thousands of dollars on their taxes because they didn't pull it out right. Logistical things. And of course... Strictly just with Operation Lone Star, not what it costs the U.S. We're going to talk about what it costs the average Texan taxpayer. Upwards of $4 billion over the course, I believe, of three years. So let's say three years plus of Operation Lone Star. If that, I mean, we should stop the list right now because that number two is like seven different things. Yeah. But <laughs> this whole border security thing it's been such a panic for him these last couple months. Oh, my gosh, the board of the fentanyl. Biden's not doing anything. He's been governor for seven years. Yeah, I, I want to add one thing, too. Like, this fentanyl thing, yeah, it's a huge deal. It is a crisis. But he's not, his, like, solution being law enforcement, the border, like, it's all this. It's not recognizing that, like, fentanyl is a complex issue that needs to be addressed from multiple different angles. For one, he hasn't legalized test strips so that people can test whether there's fentanyl and th what they're taking, which is like a simple step you can take to make sure people don't overdose and die. Like, even if you think it's like, oh, well, I don't want people to like feel like they should be taking drugs, so I don't want to like legalize these test strips, you're still, you know, this is like a simple solution that he has yet to pass for some who knows what reasons. I'm sure someone else does that's listening to this stream, but yeah, usually cruelty. <laughs> You know, on top of on top of everything that, yes, that, that, it's a total mess at the border. But let's also remember that for years, even I think prior to, to Governor Abbott, complaining about uh, illegal immigration at the Texas border has been the go to distracting point for the Republicans when they've been forced to deal with any kind of substantive issue. Uh, it is their great boogeyman. And it, it is it's something that resonates with a lot of their base. I mean, they there it's it's very easy for Abbott to misuse our uh, our guard troops, uh, misuse people who are in the country now, using them as pawns and for show, sending them around the country in, in gaudy and totally cruel fashion. Uh, this is all kind of part of a long-standing 
uh, tactic that the Republicans have used. They've always used the the border as a way to avoid having to talk about the real problems that face Texans. And I think like the last thing I, I want to say just about this issue is that Greg Abbott's challenger is from not only a border town, but like the border town. Beto yeah. is from El Paso. If you know anything about him, you'll probably know that. It is a safe city. It is a thriving city. And he knows border politics. Greg Abbott, you know, has not done anything substantial in the past seven years other than waste our money and use people as pawns in an incredibly inhumane manner. And I think it's important that people remember that while he tries to portray strength when it comes to the border, Beto O'Rourke is from a border city. So he like knows what is up. And I think that people don't give him enough credit on his understanding of border politics. And I'll end number two with this. Where do you want your next $4 billion to go, taxpayers? And that brings us to Let's our number go, three. And that, oh, yes. oh, oh, I'm on one today. I made this whole list and I helped <laughs> organize this list with your guys' help. This is, mm, I've been waiting for this episode. And that brings us, though, to our number three. Chris, what is our number three thing we hate about Abbott? Well, we, we hate really the way that Abbott has done our schools, our teachers, and our students of public schools here in Texas. And uh, we'll talk a bit more about this when we uh, hit the COVID pandemic a little bit later, that comes to light in a different way at that point. But essentially, you know, I was raised to think of my teachers and my principals as, you know, admired members of my community, leaders, people that I could count on, people that I could trust and people that I should respect, whether they're my current teacher or not, all my previous teachers, these were people that were on a pedestal for me. That was the way I was raised. And I kind of feel like a lot of people in my generation were raised that way. Uh, we've seen a complete reversal on that it, and under Greg Abbott and under Republican rule for the last several decades here in Texas, as far as talking about vouchers, as far as talking about ways, well, let's back up a second and say, you know, Texas has no uh, state income tax. And so the way that we pay for things generally is through property taxes. Well, for people who own homes that are upwards of one to $3 million, that's a pretty good chunk of change. Those people would just as soon see that money redirected to the private school where their kids go. And thus we have the talk of vouchers that seems to never, ever go away. And, you know, public school vouchers are about redirecting property tax money into private schools and away from public schools, which are supposed to be funded with that money. The best education that your money can buy, but crap education for anybody who can't afford to pay for private schools. Uh, also, moving down to, you know, we talk a lot about statewide politics, occasionally about, you know, federal level politics. What we've seen over the last couple of years, some of the most gaudy displays of terrible, terrible conservative uh, political behavior has been at the school board level, at school board meetings, which just these incredibly demonstrative things just north of Austin and Round Rock has just been a complete shit show over the last year or so. Uh, mm. With that, if that superintendent being kicked out of his job and eventually reinstated into his job, uh, you know, no time to go into all of the detail there. But uh, but that's one of those things where that's the next frontier of the conservative assault. Uh, on America is at the school board level. And moving past this election, that's definitely where we need to be having uh, a lot of our attention focused on, you know, what's happening at the school board level, because between uh, the aforementioned defunding of schools, uh, between book bans that seem to go on and on, which is just a ridiculous Nazi crazy thing that's just unbelievable that's actually happening in Texas. All of these things are actually happening. All of these things are coming from the Republican side. All of these things are happening under Governor Greg Abbott. One thing just to add um, to the, the conversation about schools and everything, I agree with everything you just said, Chris. The you know way teachers are paid, underpaid is literally criminal. It's Didn't so, even get it there, really, right. 
Yeah, I mean, it just shows where our priorities are, but I just wanna remind folks that, you know, I have a lot of friends and family outside of Texas. In fact, so many of my friends and family are outside of Texas. And sometimes when I talk about this issue, you know, they think of it as a very local issue, but let's remember that so many textbooks are made in Texas. So many of the, um, you know, policies that we enact here get spread. That goes for everything on this list. But for schools, it's incredibly nefarious because like Chris mentioned, there's all these different policies going on at the school board level, which are intended to intimidate teachers and punish children for being themselves. And it's really malicious and gross. There is a, there's an ongoing shortage of teachers all across the state. And, you know, there, you definitely have uh, folks who are, uh, conservative leaders in uh, different communities and counties that'll pop up and say, hey, our schools are doing fine. Fact of the matter is quality teachers are in short supply everywhere for the reasons that Brett says there. The pay is terrible. The treatment is terrible. The policies are terrible. It's a really, really tough job. It's a job that people are called to. No, but nobody goes into public school teaching to get rich. People go into public school teaching because they have a passion for it and because they have a passion for the children and they have a passion for the community and they want to make their world a better place. That's what teachers are there for. That's why, as I said before, we should hold them in high esteem. In Texas, at least at the uh, at the state government level, we don't hold them in high esteem at all. It's such garbage how they've positioned this as a shortage. I know that's the word that's easy to kind of condense the situation down to explain what the situation is, not having enough teachers available. Let them teach, pay them to teach, and get your nose out of their business, parents. Honestly, like get your politics out of there. Let the teachers do their job. That's always just been my feeling about it, my ideal about it, is let them do their job. You didn't go to school. These are all highly educated people that are taking these positions that are teaching your children. They're not babysitters. They're not just the placeholders. And of course, they're not indoctrinators, you crazy people. Like they, They're there to teach history, math, science. That's it. They don't want to indoctrinate your children. They want you. They want your children to love people. Maybe that might be the worst crime. Oh, they have a pride flag on the wall to accept others. You don't want your children to even, accept others. It's not even having a pride flag on the wall. I saw this internet freak out because this teacher, God forbid, like a kindergarten teacher, had welcome class or something in rainbow letters, and they were like, "It's the gay agenda." Oh, and I was oh like, my gosh! What are you talking about? You know, so many things on this list come down to this polarization that has taken hold. It's taken hold across the country, but I think more so in some places. And Texas is one of those places where our, our state leaders and in many cases our, our county leaders have hitched their trains to this crazy wing of their side uh, and allowed that to dictate too much policy to the point where now it's it's become mainstream. And so, as Sam says, you know, people being afraid that their teacher is going to teach their kids something that they don't want them to teach them is just you know it's paranoia and it, it has no basis in reality but let's be clear chris and let's get you know back to the topic of this podcast that paranoia has been you know validated and amplified at every engineered. turn by state engineered exactly great word by state officials and abbott is directly responsible for making parents believe that they do have something to fear you know this polarization is not just a natural phenomenon that comes with blah 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 no people are being manipulated at every turn by the media they consume by the officials that they listen to and abbott and his his Republican cronies in the Capitol and in the governor's mansion have taken every opportunity to make parents believe that their children are legitimately in danger and that they are being indoctrinated. And they validated it through legislation. And it's just sickening. Like at one point, do you stand up and say, 
this is enough. And the thing I need people to understand, I will underscore this throughout the entire podcast, Abbott will never reach that point. He will no. never reach that point. He no. wants to be president. He is always going to run to the right and he is always going to engineer, validate and amplify the worst parts and fears of our society. And that brings us nicely to our number four. Uh, not nicely, considering the topic of our number four, which I'll take over. Um, no gun reform. You want to talk <laughs> about safety in the classroom. I'm going to read a quote from the Austin American Statesman from the video that they released of the shooting. And I, this should be the entire bullet point, but I want to hammer this point down. The sound of children screaming has been removed. That was the Ugh. quote that they put during the video Ugh. of the Uvalde shooting. The yeah. sound of children screaming has been removed. If that's not indicative with the second quote provided by Abbott post Uvalde shooting, it could have been worse. That should be damning enough. That should be damning enough. But if you want more, I got more, unfortunately. No special session for Uvalde. Did not think that guns were a topic that he wanted to bring up to, re to, to regulate even in the slightest in honor of those children's passing, in honor of those, the, the slaughter of those children. Let's just be clear about it. After he had deregulated guns officially mm -hmm. in 2021, and after he had called multiple special sessions for issues like restricting abortion rights and restricting voting rights and, you know, ooh, CRT. But beyond this no special session, we remember Uvalde, it happened this year, obviously fresh in our, in our hearts and minds, but there have been six mass shootings during his two terms, 92 dead, and I'll go over it. 2016, Dallas police shooting, five killed. 2017, that, including police. 2017, Sutherland Springs Church shooting, 26 killed. 2018, Santa Fe High School, 10 killed. 2019, El Paso Walmart shooting, 23 killed, targeting Hispanic people. 2019 again, Midland Odessa shooting, seven killed. COVID-19 happened, so there's a break in 2020, 2021. Bring back to 2022, Uvalde school shooting, 21 killed. The only thing stopping a yearly mass shooting was a global pandemic, which once again, his response to that, if not more costly in regards to loss of life. But when it comes to gun reform, he is so scared of the NRA and the gun-toting Texan voter that he's willing to let children die. Simple. Oh, yeah. He, simple. I I am, once again, I'll, I'll bring it up for the audio listeners, new listeners. I was uh, in one of the mass shootings uh, in UC Santa Barbara uh, in 2014. Is topics very close to me. Having been in Texas since 2016 and having been through all of these shootings and seeing all these shootings, it doesn't get easier for me to see them. And it makes me filled with rage. And it should make you filled with rage too. You should feel the rage. And if you feel it and you lose it sometimes, you need to bring that back because he's not going to change. Couple things I'd throw in would be that uh, let's all remind ourselves that uh, uh, police associations across the state of Texas pleaded with Governor Abbott and the legislature not to continue to relax gun ownership laws and open carry and things like that. They ignored, they did not back the blue in that uh, particular instance, I would say, uh, which is interesting juxtaposed against the image of dozens and dozens of police officers hovering around outside that classroom while those children were being murdered. Uh, let's also remind ourselves that under those new laws and under the most current you know, version of Texas uh, gun ownership laws, the gunman at Uvalde didn't break the law at all until he stepped foot on that campus with those weapons. If the law allows literally the assailant to come onto the property and begin to fire 
If he is not breaking the law up to that point, there's clearly something wrong with the law. There's clearly something wrong. And we have not been able to get uh, Governor Abbott or any other high-level Republican official in the state of Texas to even acknowledge the possibility that maybe we should look at our gun laws and, and look at how was it so easy for this guy to do this. They won't even mm-hmm. talk about it. Yeah, they want it to be that easy, you know, and that's, I have nothing new or original to say about the horrific loss of life and how avoidable all of these fatalities and these shootings were. The only thing I'd like to say is, you know, we're going to connect this throughout the podcast. I have another topic that will link back to this, but all of the things that Abbott says when he tries to restrict abortion access about caring about life, it's bullshit. It's mm-hmm. fucking bullshit. And, it is you bullshit. know, right. it, what they care about is restricting and oppressing bodily autonomy and ensuring that people have access to military grade weapons so that they can be used on their fellow civilians and every single thing that they say about how to prevent these sorts of incidents from happening that isn't gun reform and gun safety has been tried is in practice exists and does nothing literally does nothing the police didn't do anything at uvalde the you know there are no background checks they you know the fbi have tabs on so many shooters before they step foot on the place where they're about to commit mass carnage and it's just you know disgusting it it says everything about the priorities in this state and the priorities of abbott and just through all of this it's just even it's even more infuriating that when you go on instagram or twitter or anything if you see Greg Abbott's profile, like it's just all pictures of him smiling, just going about his day, going on his campaign. On Halloween, he posted a picture with his daughter when she was like a little child. I'm assuming this is an old picture. Yeah, it was. Um, and he said, my favorite Halloween, voting with my daughter. And one of the parents um, of one of the victims from Uvalde, I, her name's Kimberly Garcia. I think her daughter's name was Amory. Mm-hmm. Um, she tweeted, aren't you lucky? My daughter will never have the right to vote. And that was just, mm. I just, it just makes you realize how removed from reality he is every day. Right. And um, I'm going to end it this way, and it's going to sound really cruel, um, but it's absolutely true. If you look at the numbers, uh, if you like Greg Abbott, we'll see you next year for more morning. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Count on so, so, yeah, if you want that, if you want to make sure, I mean, 16, 17, 18, 19, 19, 22. That's number four. Number five, though. And the end of our section A, block A. Emily, what's our number five thing we hate about Abbott? Well, it's just continuing this trend of hating children and anyone who isn't a cis white Texan, basically. Um, So one of the things that has pissed me off, especially in the last few months, was um, earlier this year, he, well, it was first Kim Paxton, came out with this opinion basically saying that anyone, any parent providing gender-affirming care for their child and, and doctor, any doctor providing this care, is actually abusing their child, um, which, what the hell? Literally every major medical association disagrees with that statement. Right. There's no science to back it up. No Texan like who actually understands like the LGBTQ experience would ever agree with that statement. Um, and so, yeah, Abbott kind of hopped on to his opinion and basically enforced it for the Department of Family and Protective Services and said, you have to start investigations into these situations when uh, parents are providing this care to their children. 
Um, and in doing so, they took a lot of resources away from children in actual abuse situations. Um, the DFPS is already on the brink of collapse and adding this, these unnecessary investigations um, is just making it worse. And that's not even thinking about the children themselves. These kids are already going through a lot. Um, when you're an LGBTQ plus Texan, like there is so much going on inside of you. There's so much working against you. Like the, the, the mental turmoil you go through every day and just for Greg Abbott to just decide, let me just add to that because I don't give a shit. Uh, it, it's just insulting. Uh, living in Texas is already difficult enough and he just made it worse. And it's just increasing. It's, it's almost positively increasing the bullying these kids see in school. Um, I myself have multiple uh, trans family members and it's just really difficult to watch them go through these attacks every day. Um, I identify as queer and obviously I have a lot of privileges as a white woman, but like it's still something I have to go through every day. Like, I don't know, it's just pissing me off. And then to make it worse by banning LGBTQ plus books in schools, they haven't directly basically said like it's all books ever like they'll do whatever they can to deny the fact that they're discriminating against lgbtq plus children they'll um, say it's explicit they're saying the books are explicit when they're merely talking about the experiences of yeah. uh, lgbtq people and that's, that's been a trend for decades of sexualizing right. lgbtq people for no realistic reason other than they're uncomfortable fucking be uncomfortable everyone in texas is uncomfortable you're doing horrible things to us right Tell, show me yeah show me a person that's comfortable in texas go ahead Brett. right yeah well, yeah but also like the simple fact of LGBTQ testing Texans existing should not make you uncomfortable. That's just yeah. bigotry. Right. Like right. you should not be uncomfortable just at the thought that people can marry who they want to be, who can receive gender affirming care. You can't keep up with all the different pronouns out there. Fine, me neither. Google that shit. You have a smartphone. Like it's right. not challenging. Just be a decent human being. And from what you said, Emily, I just want to remind folks, like all the topics that we've talked about so far, let's be clear, like Greg Abbott wants big government off of your guns. He wants big government like, you know, to stop, you know, forcing you to have Medicare available to you, God forbid. But then he wants big government in your children's classrooms, in your home, so that you can't care for your child and provide them the potentially life-saving and life-altering care that they deserve. And I will just add, puberty blockers, which many trans children receive, are reversible. They are not yeah. harmful. And it's not right. just trans kids who use them. It's a lot of other kids who have exactly. issues with puberty. So, right. like, there's this absolute hypocrisy, which I sometimes think is useless to bring up. But as we're talking about all these different issues, they all connect. Like, Greg mm -hmm. Abbott, as Emily said, you know, wants like the protections of government for the fewest of the few who fit his cookie cutter description of what kind of human being deserves rights, and then the rest of us can go rot. The term hypocrisy, Brett, might be just a little bit misapplied here because I think it's only hypocritical to those of us who view the world in pretty, you know, straight objective sort of terms. Who have values. You know, the, You're right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and, and and I would remind, you know, and at, we're, we're about halfway through this now. Let's remind everybody all 10 of these things that we hate about Governor Greg Abbott, he has done to appeal to his base. All mm -hmm. of these things that we're talking about are a turn on to the people who are going to vote for Greg Abbott. And so that's something to remember. Uh, you know, you're almost, you know, 99.9% .9 of progressive person if you're bothering to listen to this podcast. If you haven't been to vote yet, you got to go get your vote in for sure because yeah. uh, I mean this time we and tell it your really, friends, tell yeah. your friends yeah. too, and and take your mom if you can. And so like you know that that the thing is this is we're in the middle of a culture war is what it feels like, and I believe that's where we are. Is it, it's turned into 
we have a, a, an ideological disconnect with half of the state of Texas. There, we, we are divided in that way. And like Sam said at the top of the uh, podcast, the cruelty is the point. Uh, if it's a turn on to pick on LGBTQ people, if it's a turn on to pick on people who are not white, if it's a turn on to pick these fights and to do these mean, cruel things, if that's what is more important than our economy, than our safety, than than health I and mean, all the different things that really should matter to, to Texans, if, if the little small cruelties are what are going to drag the votes in for him, it's time to vote against the guy and, and it's it's past due time. And let me, can I just add also that like a lot of these issues, they're attacking children, they're sure. affecting children and children can't necessarily advocate for themselves. They don't have the same rights that adults do. They don't like they're they're getting all these effects of what Greg Abbott's doing with no ability to fight them. And I don't think that's fair. <laughs> And, and that brings us now to the second half of our Why We Hate Greg Abbott. Now, these are some of the deeper cuts. Now, these aren't the heavy hitters. Obviously, they are still heavy hitting topics, but those are the big ones that we went over uh, pretty much. But these still right here are really, really all on Greg Abbott. It's really all his fault, all of these things here. A lot of these ones in this, in this last section is in response to explicitly the last seven years he's been in office. And let's start with number six now. Uh, Brett, what is our number six thing we hate about Greg Abbott? So number six, I wanna talk about the housing affordability crisis in Texas and the economy more generally. And I know that we've already gone on at length in the first half, so I'm gonna, you know, go quickly. But I think, you know, everyone who lives in Texas understands that there is an affordability crisis. Texas has never had a lack of space. You know, our suburbs have exploded in the past few decades. Our state continues to grow in population size. Um, but we are struggling to be able to afford rent in cities. Housing prices are going up. And a lot of that is the way that um, the state is structured because we don't have a state income tax. So all of the services that we still need to receive are paid for by property taxes. So those are not artificially, but they're inflated so that homeowners and their housing appraisal goes up so they can be charged more in property taxes to pay for these services. This is a big problem. And Greg Abbott has said in his campaign that he wants to do away with property tax, which is completely ridiculous. And ultimately what it means is that he wants to break down the structure of what government provides because he doesn't see that as, you know, being an important element of leading a state? I don't understand it. <laughs> you know, I, I can't even explain it. It makes no sense <laughs> to me. Um, and then on top of that, you know, he brags about Texas's big booming economy and all of the great industry that's moving to Texas. And I just want to articulate to folks that a lot of these companies and people move here because of corporate tax cuts. And it's this race to the bottom that not only hurts workers, but also hurts homeowners, hurts everyone. It's absurd. You know, Texas's minimum wage is still $7.25, and yet rents are going up, prices are going up, and Greg Abbott wants to pin economic woes on Biden, and yet he refuses to actually address any of the issues that have happened under his watch and do anything about it. Just blames Democrats, regardless of the fact that he's been in power for the past eight years. It's that pointed finger, man. He loves pointing that finger at everybody else mm -hmm. but in the mirror. Um, there's really not much. To, I mean, everyone knows who, if you're listening out there, you own a home. It went up 
Your taxes went up hardcore. Uh, and Beto O'Rourke has been harping on the uh, the catchphrase of um, Abbott is the greatest increaser of inflation in the state of Texas. It's it's something that we need to at least try to slow down. And Abbott, once again, refuses to do anything. Um, but that said, let's go on to our number seven. Chris, I'm going to pass that to you. What's our number seven thing that we hate about Greg Abbott? Well, uh, Sam, as uh, as our friend Mike Collier likes to say, it's time to fix the damn grid, and uh, that is something that uh, I think in Greg Abbott's mind, and in the in in the leaders of the of the Texas energy sector, I don't think the grid needs fixing from their perspective. I think it works exactly as they designed it to do. <laughs> the way they designed it to work is to make them lots and lots and lots of money. It's mm-hmm. not about it's not about making sure we stay warm. It's not about making sure we stay safe. It's not about about making sure we don't freeze to fucking death in the middle of a freak, you know, winter storm or overheat uh, or, or, or exa- exactly or for the AC to stay on when it's 118 degrees. Uh, it's not about any of those things. It is purely about a money. And that's and that's been the hard lesson, I think, for so many of us uh, coming out of the winter storm of February of last year. Uh, is just the the windfall that ended up, especially going to get to a uh, gas providers at that, you know, the fact that uh, all of this could have been avoided just with some basic winterization of, of a lot of the primary infrastructure that sure, it's going to cost you some money, but wouldn't you rather the thing stay on? Wouldn't you rather the thing work the way it's supposed to go? And that's, again, what we're finding out. The, the underlying truth is that it does work the way it's supposed to work. It works in the form of a huge windfall for the people who are in control of the energy sector in Texas. Mm -hmm. Um, I have a funny story for our listeners that I'll share quickly. I was at a lunch with my father. He was visiting Texas and he brought me to a lunch with um, U.S. Senator Ron Wyden from Oregon. Why was Senator Wyden fundraising in Texas? I don't know. But um, it was a small little lunch and my my dad was in town for that. And so he said, do you want to come? I said, of course. And he said, okay, you can come, but just, you know, tone it down a little bit. I was like, what are you talking about? He was like, well, just, you know, everything. Just like preemptively tone it down. He's like, don't say anything about like, don't say anything about, you know, just super intense topics. I was like, okay, sure. (laughs) So I'm sitting there with like a bunch of, you know, um, corporate bigwigs and, you know, chatting to people and the Senator comes and he's great and he's friendly. We're sitting around and it's early on. So people aren't really speaking up. Um, and he asked some question like, well, what happened? What happened with the grid? And nobody answered immediately. So I just kind of responded. I was like, oh, Greg Abbott forgot to pay a few bribes to his cronies. And everyone laughed, including the senator. But my dad like elbows me. He's like, oh, shit. <laughs> I'm like, what did I say? I was right. Right. Greg Abbott and his cronies forgot to like pay themselves enough money to remember us little Texans in our houses. Yeah, when we did the podcast with Luke Warford, um, where he's running for a railroad commissioner, and what, first of all, told us that railroad commissioner has nothing to do with railroads, more so with energy. Uh, he was like, weatherization would have costed a million dollars, about a couple million dollars. Which is chump couple, change. Which is chump, chump change. change. Once again, we've, we've gone over the billions that Abbott's wasted on the border. A couple million dollars to weatherize to make sure that they can withstand high temperatures and low temperatures. And he just said, no, nah, we don't need to do it. After... 246 official, quote unquote, official deaths that happened because of that winter freeze in February that we were all part of, mind you. It was not like, it's not an imaginary thing. I kind of joke about it with my parents. I, they, I visited California recently and like, they bring it up. It's like, oh yeah, it, it was frozen. It's like, yeah, ma, it was a week where I had no power and I was eating turkey sandwiches because that's all I had in my fridge. Yeah. There were like 20 people staying in my little tiny apartment because everyone was out of power and I was the only one that still had running water. And eventually we had to migrate like a mile and 
I got injured on the walk because we don't have the infrastructure to salt the roads or anything like that. So right. like, yeah. there's just, and no people own, people don't own snow boots. People don't own these things. So it was just a really yeah. dangerous situation. Right. It, it was a total disaster. It, and it's, you know, I, I had, both of my kids were still in the house when that happened. And so that's, that's another part of this is, is, is people forget that there are so many Texans who are not only in charge of their own safety, but also keeping their children safe. And, that was just one of those uh, one of those experiences that uh, that the main thing that that taught me and something else that we'll talk about a little bit later really taught me you know over the course of, of the last few years in thinking about Texas government is that they are not here for me they are not here to keep me safe it, it's it's been a, a lesson for me just in terms of uh, you know kind of needing to be prepared because I don't think the I don't think Governor Abbott's going to step in to help me out I don't think the police are going to do it do it either it's kind of one of those things where you know we're the hard lesson has become that we're living in a bit of a failed state when it comes to to our government really looking out for us as individuals they're not doing it mm-hmm. right and you know at the end of the day we also got to remember that was also during the height of the COVID pandemic yes. so yes, you're also huddling huddling with people that you you don't know if they have COVID. A lot of people just say, you know what? I have to risk COVID if it means I have warmth, you know? Yep. And, I, and I want to remind people that that 246 official death toll, that's a low estimate considering they did not count a lot of other different factors mm-hmm. that led to it. That was only the direct effect of losing power, not some of the after effects that had happened, whether it be COVID deaths from exposure, having to huddle carbon together, monoxide poisoning. carbon monoxide poisoning, other things that happen outside of that. So so we, we can we can talk about fixing the damn grid, but it needs to be fixed. It's something that we can joke about and have some levity too, but there are real consequences. You know, I come from a hot state. I'm from California. The Central Valley gets tons of deaths because of overheating. I don't want that for Texas. I really don't. Right. We're on our way to those kind of temperatures too with, with climate change. You know, it's coming. For, make, make no mistake. Let's go on to our number eight thing that we hate about Greg Abbott. Brett, I'll let you take number eight. Um, okay. I am really going to try to talk about this without getting incredibly emotional because this is an issue that just it makes me shake with rage. Mm-hmm. Um, and it relates back to so many of the issues we were talking about. And what I want to mention right now is how badly Governor Abbott and his cronies have failed the most vulnerable children in our society, which is the children living under state foster care and who have been taken away from their families, possibly from dangerous situations, but also possibly, you know, for other reasons and who have been mistreated, malnourished, neglected, abused, sexually assaulted in the state's care. It is truly appalling the way that this has been allowed to happen, especially after multiple studies and reports have come out detailing the abuse that these children face. I'll give a few, you know, examples, just kind of top lines, but like there have been reports of some teenagers going for 23 hours in cell enclosures, um, using bottles to go to the bathroom. There have been substantially increased reports of self-harm and suicide amongst these children and and to clarify that's in the juvenile detention facilities in the state's care just to clarify between the two the foster and the juvenile detention thank you sam yeah Mm -hmm. directly under the state's care it is just absolutely disgusting and the state has completely failed to make these uh environments safer for children they have completely failed to punish wrongdoers and remove them from these posts And again, it just goes back to what our state values and doesn't, and how Greg Abbott continues to have this rhetoric of saying that he cares about children, he cares about life when he does not, and he never has. 
on top of all that, we're you know let's let's cycle back to the our new abortion bans. So we we live in a state that has a completely you know horrifically failed foster care and juvenile justice system. So let's have more babies. Let's have more babies that 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 their mothers are not prepared to care for them. Let's have let's have let's just let's create more of an influx into this system that we can't even maintain as it is. Right. And and I, I want to bring up in the reporting of this stuff, there's a lot of articles about all the other bad things that Abbott has done. These ones get about one a month, and every single one of those articles that gets written is dense with just the most heinous amount of tragedy and sadness for the most vulnerable child, children and young people in the state. You're telling me that juvenile detention facilities, yes, they, they, they may have ended up there by some sort of means. They don't need to be using bottles to go to the restroom. They don't need to be 23 hours in a cell. And also the workers that are providing services to them for the juvenile detention services, 70% turnaround, a turnover rate, because the conditions are 12 to 16 hours with no bathroom breaks. So it's not even the, just the juvenile detention, the, the people in there, but the, the guards and the people providing services that are supposed to be treating these kids, helping them get back into society and help them get back on the right foot. There, there's no chance. They're giving these kids no chance at all. And it's and it's his fault because he wants to spend billions on the border to, to bust migrants to all the other nonsense. It's ridiculous. Emily, maybe we need to uh, take a little hit from number nine to simmer <laughs> us down a little bit. I could work with levity, guys. I know I how to really, bring it back I around, mean, baby. To be f- I wish I could offer everyone listening a hit, but I, I really can't. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you all deserve it. But that brings us to our number nine. Emily, what's our number nine? The number nine thing is there's still no marijuana legalization. Abbott is still, still declining any request of doing so. Recently, Biden came out with... Um, a federal pardons for low-level marijuana offenses, um, which I think helped a few thousand people. So it was a good step in the right direction. Um, part of that federal pardon, he was encouraging states to follow his orders as well and do it at the state level. Um, Abbott obviously immediately declined such a sure. request. I'm sure coming from Biden, it was the only reason. Of course. <laughs> because... Well, also, also, because what we were talking about with this juvenile detention thing, it's just this constant urge to have people in our prisons to sustain the prison system. These kids are sadly becoming a part of it and they're probably going to continue to become a part of it because the state is forcing them to be and it's just like cyclical. But when it comes to weed pardons, most of the people in prison for marijuana possession are black and brown Texans. They're not white Texans and it's not because they're smoking more weed or anything. It's because they're pulled over by the cops more. They're right. criminalized more in, in the legal system. I can guarantee you white people are smoking just as much, if not more weed. <laughs> I, I went to college. I just got out. You, I've seen some <laughs> yeah. stuff, okay? <laughs> people right. are smoking every day, all the time, no matter what you look like. Um, so this is just, it's just nonsense, honestly. Um, and he also just doesn't understand uh, marijuana law. Like he doesn't understand where hemp laws are at right now. He doesn't understand that he keeps talking about the economy and stuff, but one of the biggest boosts to our economy would be legalizing marijuana. We could use those taxes. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. And just to deny that and even not even think about it. You didn't get invited to the party, Greg. It's okay. But it wasn't because of the weed. It's because they didn't like you at the parties. All right. right. (laughs) I'm hoping that the, you know, and we, uh, the thing that we talked about uh, coming from, from president Biden, you know, was, was not super impactful for a whole lot of people, but I did kind of feel like that was perhaps testing the waters for something that could happen over the last two years of the Biden administration where we could see a lifting of federal prohibition, at which point, promise you this, if Greg Abbott is still the governor, 
by the time that happens over the last two years of, of Biden's uh, turn, I promise you a statewide ban on pot will happen right after that. As, as, mm-hmm. soon, as, as soon as the feds take the ban off, Texas will reban it here. I promise you they'll do this. Marijuana legalization as well as abortion rights, just want to tie those two together, are widely popular amongst Texans. Sure. Those are two things that every on Texan's both sides. like... Want, yeah, on both sides, exactly. That want, they want access to abortions and health care, that type of health care. And they want people to smoke weed without getting thrown into prison. Federal prison or state prison, any sort of prison. It's very popular, and Greg Abbott doesn't want it. So yep. let's just get rid of him, because he doesn't mm-hmm. want what the Texans, all Texans want. And that brings us to our number 10 thing we hate about Greg Abbott. Mind you, there are a ton more things. These are just the top mm-hmm. 10 things. Oh, there's plenty. There's that plenty. we hate about Greg Abbott. But... This one, Chris, you know, it's going to be kind of the threat that w- went on throughout the last few years. Uh, the thing that has really s- kind of kept all of this nonsense on the top of our brain, it's really led to this sort of just collapse of all these services and, and like meaningful policy because he wants to play these games that support a certain, uh, uh, a certain group of his base. What is our number 10, our final list piece our number 10 is the completely incompetent and cruel way that governor abbott and his administration responded to the covid19 epidemic when it first happened or the pandemic when it first you know came upon the scene uh, back in march of 2020 i remember very clearly uh being fortunate to be able to continue to do my media work from my home studio we're all home. We're all scared. Nobody knew what was going to happen. Early on in that thing, it was. It felt like the wheels were really going to come off. That this could be it. That this could mm-hmm. be like like truly a you know apocalyptic moment for our country and for the for the whole world in general. And so I found myself thinking about Governor Abbott, thinking about our state government. You know, as he began to put together you know uh, press conferences and make statements about what we were going to do. I remember in my own head going, I don't like the guy. I didn't vote for the guy. I'm opposed to him politically. But he's in control and God bless him and hope I I had every hope and every dream that he would do the right thing and manage this thing the right way. At the initial outset, it seemed like he might because there were, you know, we shut down businesses. We shut down the schools. There was the initial shutdown. But as soon as any kind of a real plan began to form up from Governor Abbott, he presents this uh, COVID-19 task force that features the likes of Michael Dell and Kendra Scott and people who have you know, nothing to do with medical science, nothing at all to do with fighting a pandemic. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are a bunch of doctors on the list there. It turns out half of them are big dollar donors to Greg Abbott. So right from the outset, right from the makeup of this COVID task force, it's clear this is business as usual. This is political crony, donor support, corrupt shit. Uh, just from the ex- exact same thing we've always seen before. And then immediately after that came, we're opening the businesses. We're getting them all open. We're we're going to, uh, not only are we not going to mandate masking, we're not going to allow cities to mandate masking. We're not going to allow school districts to mandate masking. This ended up in a situation where we had school districts administrators having to defy the state government in order to keep their kids safe. It turned into immediately where I had every hope, I really did, every hope of Greg Abbott doing the right thing, being a stand-up guy, managing this thing right. It turned into immediately all about the donors, all about the business community, and really nothing else. And the thing about it is uh, this week he also reinstated his uh, emergency powers for COVID again because he wants to keep 
local uh, governments from enacting mask mandates. So Austin wants to put mask mandates, wants to do those things, have vaccination cards. He re-upped his power so he can keep people from doing that. To keep people from wanting to be safe, to want to be control their own businesses and only allow people that are vaccinated or masked. It is insanity and huge overreach. Um, yeah, you want him to be successful when it comes to all of our lives. And he let us down. And that is why this top 10 list is important. I think it's a nice recap of all the ways that Greg Abbott has let us down. And it's real easy to get down and, and worry about him becoming governor again. But I think the more important thing, and I want to ask this last question to give us a little bit of hope going into this election. What are you voting for? Because Greg Abbott has given us a lot of things to vote against him for. But what are you voting for this election team? Uh, Brett, I'm going to give you the mic. What, what are you voting for? I'm voting for a lot, but I would say in particular, I'm voting for expanded Medicaid. I'm voting for abortion access and I'm voting for school funding. That's it, man. That, that's it. Chris, what are you voting for? I think mine's a little bit, uh, maybe a little bit more abstract. I'm voting for some means of stopping the Texas legislature from doing all the mean shit that they want to do. I'm voting for an actual check, an actual balance in our system that's supposed to feature that, and it has not for years. Emily, what are you voting for? Um, I'm voting for LGBTQIA plus rights because we're being attacked literally every single day and I'm sick of it. Um, and I'm also voting for disability rights because specifically Greg Abbott has been advertising off of his disability because of his accident a few years ago um, when he's actively passing legislation and signing legislation that's working against disabled Texans. So I want to stop that. And of course. And on top of all the things y'all said, I am voting for the kids in Uvalde. Absolutely. They don't get to vote. Absolutely. anymore like like the mom said they don't get to vote they never they'll never get the chance and i think with beto in place uh it's it, something could be done i'm not saying it's going to stop i'm not saying it's going to end uh all school shootings but something will get done or at least try to get done and that's all i want at least we'll know there's someone in the governor's mansion who cares who gives right. a shit gives a right. shit right. who gives a shit now in closing, everyone, I know this was a real dense and heavy podcast in some parts and some you know, levity in other parts. Thank you for sticking with us. Team, thanks for lending your insights. And listeners, thank you for joining us. The last day to vote is Election Day, November 8th, with early voting going on until Friday, November 4th. So be sure to exercise your right to vote as early as possible. And for more information on voting and what you may need, please go visit GoVoteTexas.org to see what you need to vote. And for all you listeners who we all know you voted already, because a lot of you are progressives and like-minded individuals, be sure to help your friends and family vote. Ask them if they have a plan, offer to drive them, anything to get turnout up. And while you have your device in hand before you're able to do all that, head over to ProgressTexas.org and follow us on socials. Subscribe to our email list. And if you're listening to us on your favorite podcast platform, subscribe to us. Give us five stars, a thumbs up. Leave us a review, a comment. Happy election, folks. Be safe out there. Be careful. See you on the other side. Bye. Bye. The Progress Texas Happy Hour is a production of Progress Texas, a rapid response media organization promoting progressive messages and actions. Find us online at progresstexas.org and on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. The podcast is produced by me, Chris Mosier, and our featured music is by Walker Lukens. 
Please be sure and subscribe to the Progress Texas Happy Hour on the podcast platform of your choice. Take a moment to leave us a review if you've enjoyed the show and be sure and tell your friends about us. Thanks for listening and for all you do to press progress forward here in the Lone Star State. We'll see you again next week.